All right, here we go. What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 255, and my name is Steve. Who else is here on the uh, on the episode today with me? I'm Ron. You are. Who else? I'm also here. John <laughs> is what they call me. Oh, and you are also on this episode, right, John? I'm here on this episode today, and John is the name that they use when they talk to me. Hello, my friend who is called Ronald, and that other guy who's... I guess Steve. <laughs> yeah, not 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 your friend, but my name is Steve, though. If I seem a little awkward, I'm off script for this episode. We did not write a detailed word for word script. Oh. People might not know this. We're never improvising. It's a scripted show. It's it's line by line. Yeah, it's practiced. Yeah, it's very yeah. tight. It's very tight. We didn't have time to write a script, so tonight, folks, we're actually kind of talking off the cuff. Yeah, I, I, it's it's news to me that I'm not your friend, but I, I'm going to take it in stride, John. <clears throat> that was an improv, Steve. I really don't know if I felt. Anyway, we'll. <laughs> I'll talk about it off mic. <laughs> I'm just that other guy, you know. That's how I roll. But uh, yeah, we're getting together this week to talk about a bunch of, a mix of stuff. Ultimately, we're going to have a feature review at the end of the episode, but there's a lot of news uh, that came up over the past week since last episode that we wanted to spend some time talking about at the top of the show. And then at the end, um, as you know, if you've seen the description of uh, this episode of the title, um, we are going to be talking about um, Josh Trank's new film, Capone, which came out on video on demand services this week and is available if, uh, you know, you have an internet connection and want to watch this movie. People probably aren't ready to cut ties with the internet, but right, the right. fact that this movie is available over the internet, some people might just decide they're done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a little bit, but uh, am I tipping my hand? I'm sorry. I I I think you may be, but again, we're off book, we're off script this week, so who knows what's going to happen on this episode. Um, but we did have a brief discussion about some news items that we definitely wanted to make sure we talked about this week, and I don't know if we had an order to them, but I think one of the bigger items that have come up that we've all talked about and has been all over the internet is um just the idea that. The Hamilton musical is going to be coming into Disney Plus uh, on July 3rd, which is kind of Huge. wild and over a year ahead of its planned theatrical release in the summer of 2021. What's going on? I mean, like, what what do you guys think about this? Is this this is it's pretty major news, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd say so. Just um so I was just talking to you guys about um, the DC run of Hamilton and how quickly it sold out. The tickets went on right. sale. They sold out in um, a minute for the level that I wanted. I, you know, I couldn't right. couldn't be right up front. But anything behind basically the front row sold out in a minute. I mean, it's just a testament to the idea of like, uh, sure. On on the surface, it seems like this thing is is done. Like like the Hamilton uh, whole. Uh, TV, the TV popularity of it is kind of done, but it still is very red hot in terms of tickets and people wanting to see it. And this going to a streaming service is huge, man. It, it's very, very big. Um, so I, what do you think about it, John? How long can a thing 
remain that thing? You know, like, what is it about Hamilton that makes it so exclusive? I mean, it has this religious experience aspect to it that people talk about. Of You've got to go see it. And right. when you go see it, people want to go see it again. You know, right. what's going to be the form when this thing hits and becomes so available that it can no longer sort of have the, the kind of cachet you were talking about, Ronald, with selling out tickets as soon as a run is announced, as soon as a new city is announced, you know. And I honestly don't know if being on Disney Plus is going to be that thing because it's still going to be, um, uh, like, it, this is going to be a filmed performance of the musical. I've heard people talk about different actors being better or worse in certain roles. I've heard people talk about, you know, touring companies versus home companies. So there is still a lot of the live experience, I think, that people are going to look for with this property. But right, right. do you guys think this is going to eclipse the, the live show in people's minds and make it so that they don't feel that I mean, pull, that, that, that magical pull? I, I don't think it'll eclipse the live show just in terms of experience. I mean, I think... I mean, I think just as a term of reach in the idea, like when you think about like a property, like you're saying, you know, like this, the ability to reach out and like at least have the awareness on people, you know, of pe like have people's awareness of it and the fact that it exists. I, I don't know that many things really kind of come to the level that this uh, musical has done recently. I mean, like, you know, there's definitely in history ones that kind of are at this level. But I, I just think that like, you know, I, I almost feel like it's probably the opposite of it kind of like winding down and like having the most exposure because I feel like kind of like you were saying, John, people that have seen it have seen it multiple times. People that haven't seen it still want to see it. People that don't know what it is that come across it now on their Disney Plus service that, you know, is $5 a month or $6 a month or whatever it is may watch this two hour and 40 minute movie musical of this live stage production and then want to go experience it in person, you know? So I, I almost feel like it could go the other way where like it could be like a refresh for some of these because there are touring companies and there are still many cities that this musical is coming to in the next few years that will be the first time that some people will ever have the opportunity to see it. And I think it's going to almost drive demand for those tickets even more now that it's on Disney Plus and you can kind of get a taste of it before going to experience it in person. like, And I say that because that's kind of how I am. Like, I, I've always wanted to see this. I, I've heard so many amazing things about it. I've listened to the cast recording. And, you know, I've watched some of the videos that are that, ha that have aired on, like, certain PBS specials and, you know, obviously on YouTube. But I'm really excited to watch this, this Disney Plus, you know, release. But that would never, you know, I still would have the peak level of interest to when it comes to Baltimore, when there's an opportunity to see it in Baltimore, which there was to be, and hopefully will still be at some point. I will absolutely be there, you know, seeing it when that time comes. So it, it's interesting because, like, it is like a mammoth property that is just massive. And, you know, I think I misspoke. I think I said summer next year. I want to say it's maybe in the fall it was supposed to come out next year. But... It's just wild that this 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 musical record this recording was acquired by Disney for seventy five million dollars, which I've read in a couple articles is is like the largest sum ever for like a film acquisition, you know, for a done product. You know what I mean? And yeah, ultimately to ultimately just to say, okay, this is going to be a you know we're going to put this on Disney Plus because like you know of the times that we're in, the options that we have for entertainment. And I mean, it really is a pretty, 
big swing by Disney to say like this is a like Ronald you were saying 300 million easily like this this who knows how much money this would make because it was worldwide distribution that Disney has for this for this movie when they bought it so like th- that could be the low end of the spectrum of what it could make um yeah I don't know it's just it's just wild and obviously this is just another you know bet on Disney plus by Disney you know to say like this is the future in many ways and I kind of think it's like a really cool decision because I think like being able to experience it like that in these times it could be a really special experience for some people that maybe never can go to see a musical like this or can never get a ticket like we say you know it sells out sells out in a minute you know like they may never get to that point so like it, it may drive subscribers you know high which is ultimately what Disney wants but yeah it's it's an amazing thing and I don't know if it falls into the criteria of what we keep talking about on the podcast about like that big blockbuster film that goes to a streaming platform or to a video on demand platform. Um, But this is like definitely in the conversation in terms of like a huge property that is foregoing a monster box office for a streaming platform, not even for you know, premium video on demand or rental. This is a streaming. So like you're getting this with your five or six dollar a month thing. Just like Netflix, you know, like all these, you know, the competitors do. Like it's kind of there's no real box office in any way for this at this point. It's a part of a package. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's huge, man. I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I can't wait and, to see it. I will be I'll be there first day to watch it. Well I mean they've got to keep those subscribers, right? I mean they I do. think this is this is a great a great thing for them. And if it comes in the summer and now Disney Plus is not just the home of The Mandalorian. Right. But I think, okay, if you have Disney Plus, you can watch Hamilton and in the best take-home form yet. You know, I mean, theoretically, this movie is going to have some aspect to it that that approaches the experience of the live show. So I would, I would think that, yeah, I, as far as a thing you can go to Disney Plus to see, Hamilton is a pretty big thing to have so as far as its value to disney plus oh, yeah. are they are they short-circuiting this this massive box office it could have for that every time they announce one of these um at movies at home it's going to be like as much as we're waiting for it we are also kind of wondering like well why did they pick that one yeah right. <laughs> what is it about this one that's so perfect um maybe it is just that calling card hamilton on disney plus i think that, it is that's as easy as saying new yes. new star wars show on on disney plus it's like people understand that that's 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 absolutely I, I i'm all in on that idea i think that's the only reason that that's what that's why this decision was made because like i said i just said this wasn't supposed to come out until october of 2021 so you know you can assume that theaters maybe in some form are back up and running by then hopefully i don't know but it's not like it was a movie that was coming out this year in the next four months or whatever that got pushed back like that it's just yeah i i think it really is a branding decision that i you know it's pretty iconic at this point that you know a lot of people know what this musical is and to say that you can access it on disney plus right now or on july 3rd like that's pretty that's pretty huge uh move for disney i think especially like you said there's mandalorian and you know in the fall they'll have a second season of that but like in terms of what like new stuff coming to these streaming properties or streaming platforms Stuff is kind of drying up a bit at this point because the production on a lot of this stuff has been closed for a few months. So to kind of meter this out so that you have big things coming out every two to three months or something huge in each quarter of the fiscal year, 
is a is a big decision on that part and this is absolutely one that will drive the subscriber base up in that you know second third quarter of the year and that's just you know i think it's really smart and i think it's a bold move i think so too man so we'll see we'll see how it does and the other thing i was going to say like just as a side looking at like the hamilton as a property like the people involved with it you know like Lin-Manuel Miranda, the V Diggs, Anthony Ramos, like these are names that you're seeing more and more of in other things on TV and in film. So I just think also it's kind of like a bit of a synergy across, you know, Disney's got the V Diggs, it's Sebastian in the Little Mermaid remake. Obviously Lin-Manuel has a great relationship with Disney. You know, Anthony Ramos is in the in the Heights, you know, musical that, that got pushed back to next year. So this is also just like good in terms of what the future looks like for these people that were in involved with that original production of Hamilton and what they're doing in film and TV now. You know, like the V Diggs is coming up on the Snowpiercer show that starts this week on, I don't know, TBS or TNT, one of those networks, uh, cable networks. So like these are people's faces that you're going to see now in movies and TV shows that, you know, was in this musical that is this cultural phenomenon that is on Disney Plus now. So it's kind of, it's interesting too that these things are timed around that and like, you know, you'll see these faces a lot too in future Disney uh, and you know other studio properties. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I mentioned Netflix. I know Ronald, you mentioned something, a piece of news that dropped like right before we were uh, starting to record this episode. And you, you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, um, the movie Bad Trip um, is now. I, I I think my brain is just kind of melting off of this news at being picked up by netflix and will be coming up uh, this year it is a comedy with uh eric andre and lil rel that's kind of like jackass where they set up these uh scenarios in the public with a through line or, or it's more like the dad the bad grandpa is it more like it's more like that than Jackass? Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's more like it yeah, it's kinda like it's produced by the guy that did Jackass. So it does have like the stunts, the pranks, but there is like a narrative that the movie is going through of their them doing this like road trip cross country thing. Yeah, so that got picked up by Netflix and will be releasing um whenever they announce a, a, a date, which is pretty amazing. Uh it's it's one of those movies that probably got lost in the shuffle of everything going on with COVID and it got picked up and it will be on Netflix. And because it has so many comedy actors, so many celebrities in it, this could go, this could do really well on Netflix. It's a perfect platform for it. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's interesting too, because like this is one. And I think about like King of Staten Island, which we talked about, I think last time a little bit, but like, this is one that you really do feel like, this movie is just kind of like have, has gotten screwed over like bad because of what's happened. And I'm not saying that ending up on Netflix is a bad thing because I do agree. I think because of who's in it, you know, Eric Andre, LeRae, like um, Eric Andre, Tiffany Haddish is in it. Um, who else is in it? Um, somebody else popped I saw in the trailer that I recognized. But um, yeah, Lil Rel's in it. But I, I don't know, like just the idea of like these character comedic characters that a lot of people are aware of i think it will do great on netflix but i mean like this is a movie that was supposed to premiere at south by southwest you know and then got canceled and then like literally like and middle middle of april like it leaked in some way i think it got posted to amazon prime by accident 
and you know, I, I believe it got torrented or it's it's out there in the ether somewhere. But it just seems like that's a, such a uh, it's such a bad rap or a bad experience. Like it feels like that's one that really really got the short end of the stick. Like kind of like King of Staten Island did, which once the trailer came out, you know, you realize like oh that looks really good. But like it just it just seems like a lot was lined up and there was a lot of confidence in it to debut it at South by Southwest, you know, for a movie that wasn't going to come out until like the end of October, I think initially. Um, so it's just, it's just kind of crazy to see how, you know, some certain kinds of movies. And again, you think about what we talked about last time. A lot of them are comedies that just something happens and you have lovebirds sold to Netflix. You have King of Staten Island coming out on HBO max. You have American pickle coming out on HBO max. You have, you know, my spy, which is kind of like a family comedy, you know, I think that's already come out, I believe. Um, but it's just like another one of those titles that just seems kind of one of those mid-level comedies that yeah, you just never know how they're going to do now because there's no metric for it outside of like what information Netflix is going to release once it comes out. It's Wild Wild West, man. <laughs> it is the Wild Wild West. And that came out in the theater. Wow. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. It did. It did. Yeah, there was oh. no streaming alternative back then. Um, it's so ironic. It's, wow. <laughs> no, Ronald, I was going to say, this is kind of like, you know, we have quick writs from Steve Ritter. This is like a Ronald Roundup. Oh, because, yeah. Because um, not only did you have the news about Bad Trip, you wanted to talk about Voodoo, yes, I believe. Um, um, Walmart's Voodoo has been sold to Fandango's Fandango Now streaming service. Um, while that doesn't sound like a big deal, it's actually a huge deal because uh, a couple things. Data is key. And uh, Fandango ticket selling service that also is trying to get into the streaming market. They have that whole library of voodoo. So think about um, iTunes as the most popular market for movies that are released to DVD and uh, indie movies that are released. And then right under that is voodoo. It is incredibly popular. Um, And it is also part of the um, Movies Anywhere system that a lot of studios are trying to get people to be a part of. The, the whole idea is you sign in with those services and then it spreads them out throughout any service that is compatible that a studio, a movie studio is uh, playing, playing along with. So if you buy a movie on iTunes, you can also get it on Fandango and Voodoo and things like that. And I think they kind of saw that system and jumped on Voodoo's library. But that also means that they can get an idea of uh, information for movies. Like maybe they can start acquiring original things. Um, they already have ticket sales things from the ticket sales side, but they now have the movie purchasing side because Voodoo is pretty popular. So I think it's a huge move. While it doesn't seem like it'll have a big impact right now, it will have a pretty big impact on the movie industry. Also, on top of that, Fandango now doesn't have any. Um, set-top application so you can't get it on us on um like apple tv right now right uh, and right. a couple others so if they get the voodoo app you know you ha- they they have the application on many devices already so that also expands their library and their usership so it's pretty cool yeah that's interesting and the last item in the ronald roundup <laughs> is a correction uh a few weeks back when we did 
a soundtrack schmoundtrack 2004 where we all picked uh, our favorite songs from soundtracks to movies released in 2004 one of ronald's picks was the iconic theme music from the movie saw ronald correct me if i'm wrong but the song that you mentioned was not the song that you meant because i i put sturm uh, by Frontline Assembly into yes. the episode, not knowing the Saw films. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, I guess my question to you is, what is going on and who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> Let's correct this error. Tell us a little bit about the song that it should have been, and maybe even tell me what part of the song yes. to play that's iconic to Saw fans, because as you know, as of yet, I'm not a Saw viewer. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, 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 the song is called Hello Zap. Zap. Hello Zap. And I think that's right. the one that I yes. meant to say uh, by Charlie Clouser. And um, it's kind of the, it's just crescendo. Is that what you call it? It's the, it's the, yeah. the, 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 the very escalated moment. Violins are playing. It's very intense. Um, and this song has been used a million times, but I didn't know the name of the song. Uh, I, 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 well, I misspoke about the name of the song and, um, yeah, I, if if you could pop this in the the portion that I'm talking about that is being used on every trailer and uh, thriller show on streaming services, if we can just plop that into this episode so people can hear the actual one, that that'd be great. I appreciate that. Hello Zep by Charlie Clouser. <laughs> yeah. Sturm by Frontline Assembly is a fine song, folks. We're not yeah, trying to yeah. we're not trying to say not anything trying to bad about it. it. Uh, it sets a mood of its own. It just wasn't the thing you were talking about. So okay. It's cool. it's, it's it's not that dramatic note that ends the first saw, which no. is what that other one is. <laughs> like 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 when that episode came out, like I'm listening to it, I'm like, okay, here comes that song. Because even on the episode, I'm like, I know exactly what you're saying. I know the one you're talking about in my head. Right. And and listening to, and listening to it, I'm like, hold on a second, this, this doesn't sound it. right. <laughs> I don't know that this is the right song. Uh oh. Let me ask Ronald if, if this is what he meant. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm sorry about that. So I guess the last thing we really were going to talk about news-wise was just we wanted to mention, because this this gives us a little bit of a segue into talking about a movie starring Tom Hardy, but there was a, a movie starring Tom Hardy a few years back called Fury Road that we all liked a lot. And very recently, the New York Times Online had, uh, I think it's by Kyle Buchanan, yeah. they published an oral history of the making of Fury Road. And I would just say to anyone who's a fan of that movie or even just anyone who saw that movie and, and had sort of a curiosity in their head about how they pulled off some of the things that they did uh, with all those stunts being practical. How, how tough was it? How long did it take them? How did the actors bear up under the pressure? All this stuff comes up in this article. And I just, as someone who really, really respects and enjoys that movie, um, it kind of confirmed my suspicions that <laughs> that the only way to get a movie... Uh, that looks like that is to just beat the shit out of everybody making it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Under, understatement maybe. It's been I guess five years since it came out as a part. Of, it's just like you, you've you've heard many stories about like the production and just like like you said some of the practical effects or 
you know, Charlize and Tom Hardy kind of having issues or clashing on set and things like you, you've kind of heard a lot of it. But anytime they put together like these oral history deep dives, it's just really great. Like if you're a huge fan of the, you know, anybody involved with the production or the movie itself as a whole, which like you said, we all are. It's just really cool to see so many people involved in giving their input on it and just hearing, you know, about like who actors screen tested against, which would be no one you'd ever assume. Like, um, there's a piece in there where Zoe Kravitz is talking about having done like a chemistry test with Jeremy Renner for the role of Max, which um, I don't I don't know how that would have turned out. Um, but and I guess that was all before Tom Hardy was involved. But um, just like all that inside baseball stuff, I, I love that kind of stuff. Like they, the kind of things that you hear on a commentary track or, you know, a making of doc, but it's really cool to kind of be able to see so many, um, you know, so many parts of the machine speaking on it. You know, like you have people that are, you know, production designers, cinematographers, the actors, you know, Miller himself, just like it's all covered. And, you know, it's, they just did a really amazing job um, in just kind of trying to cover all the bases of things that would be interesting to fans of this movie that would want to know things um, that maybe have been talked about in in the press over the years, but also some things that I never heard before. And I'm a massive. I think it's one of the best movies of the last ten years. But I mean, I just love the movie, and it's cool to see, you know, that inside information uh, kind of all collected and provided by the people that were involved, not just like you know set reports or things like that. It's just a really, it's a really great read. You know, just for movie making in general, or. Uh, of the kind of director that George Miller is in general and just like what what it took to make this kind of like action epic classic movie you know what I mean it doesn't seem like he's a tyrannical director he's just a visionary director and he has something in his mind that he knows he can get and he works and works and works until he gets that thing that he was trying to get he plans for a long time he shoots for a long time he does post-production for a long time you know I don't know how much a lot of money and a lot of studio faith in this project would have made it take less time this is one of the rare movies that I don't think you could just speed up by throwing money at it right you you could maybe give George Miller more security and that might affect the shooting of the film a little bit but it seems as though he has to fight to keep the lights on kind of and to keep the money coming in and to keep things going and the story you know it really talked about how that does that pressure a lot of times the actors don't really know quite what they're doing because he he thinks it's uh, similar to the way uh, I've always heard anyway that Alfred Hitchcock shot which is that he storyboarded stuff uh, down to the finest detail and then he knew hey Ronald this shot I need you to open that drawer and you're shooting that like five or six times to make sure that it's done right and then you're moving on. A director like this is shooting just that little piece. You know, right. actors can get kind of confused and, and overwhelmed by that process. Um, and they might not remember, like, where am I in my emotional arc at this moment? You know, when I'm when I'm falling out of the car. <laughs> and having gotten into George Miller's mindset a lot recently, the, the very good film podcast Blank Check has been doing a series on George Miller's movies recently. And they've, they've talked about him and his style. And that seems to be a through line for him, that kind of vision in his head of yeah. something very specific that he's trying to do. And I find that kind of director fascinating. And um, I do think it's one of the reasons why that's a great movie. So it's not surprising that, you know, feelings can get hurt. Yeah. Um, And the other cool thing about an article like this is that you do see not just people talking about making the movie. Once you get a few years out, people are always a little more frank about the experience, but you see people even reacting to things they said 
when the movie was new. And so Tom Hardy is kind of reacting to some things he said when the movie had just come out. And I don't know, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, it is exactly what you said, Steve. It's just cool that he got as many people, like 20 people at different levels of the production. And it's not like, you know, book length or anything, but it, it's, it's a good long article that really talks about just about every phase of the movie. So Did Tom Hardy express any doubt? Did he, I mean, any like regret of doing a movie or anything like that? More, more doubts about filling the shoes of Mel Gibson, who at right. that time was already kind of a, kind of a pariah. Who it sounds like George Miller would have liked to work with him, but he was a little old by the time they were talking about making this, and then he very quickly became a hard guy to to cast. But it didn't sound like anybody in the production really didn't want to work with him. It was more like he would be hard to hire and to get the studios to back. So people seem to be reluctant to call uh, Mel Gibson a uh, a disgusting person, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's a theme we've noticed with these these great men or whatever. But but at any rate, I think that was the big thing for Tom Hardy. Ronald was just that he was he felt very conscious of the the shoes he was stepping into. Ah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. But he also seemed to know that it was Charlize Theron's movie. Didn't you get that impression too, Steve? That he seemed to know that the his role in this movie was to Absolutely. kind of step aside. Yeah, there there is a point where he I think even says something to that effect about like realizing that of of kind of like what. Charlize was undertaking in terms of stepping into Mel Gibson's shoes and like knowing that this was going to be something that, um, you know, passing the torch of, 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 of sorts in this franchise to a character like Furiosa. But, um, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's like, yeah, it's, it, that's the key. I think what John just said is that like, you know, a few years out, these actors are, are able to look back and see like the shooting conditions and like, you know, the ideas of, you know, not really having like a shooting script, but instead having to be shown like storyboards and drawings to know like what the scene was and like what was going to happen or where your motivations were. Like, I just think that they, you know, you get the sense that during the shoot, like it was kind of contentious and like people kind of put up walls and kind of did their own thing and they maybe weren't the most, you know, communal team atmosphere that it could have been. But it just seems like that may have may have fed to make a uh, the movie what it is but it's also good to hear these professionals talk you know years later um and give credit to where it's due you know in the performances and and in ways that other actors or people in the production kind of stepped up when it was needed to kind of see it through and to make sure that you know that you know he was able to kind of see through and and make the movie that he wanted to make because yeah it's just like it's a really special it's a really special movie yeah, it is. I, I I love that movie. Yeah, it's like it's like one of those it's one of those movies. You know, we talk about theatrical ex- theatrical experience a lot on this podcast, and obviously we're all fans of seeing as many movies in theaters as we can. And it, it's it's a movie that like hits my list anytime I talk about like just crazy experiences in the theater in a positive way. You know, recalling watching this in a theater with my wife and just like just literally like sitting forward for like half the movie not understanding how some of it was made like how the colors and just the practical effects and just i was like i was blown away by it like i i genuinely love this movie and it's it's in those it's in those experiences where like a movie really cements its place in your mind as like a special movie to me at least and uh Mm -hmm. it's definitely it's definitely up there for me like in terms of specifically talking about sitting in a theater and watching a movie for the first time and genuinely being like, how in the hell did they make that? That looks amazing. 
and it was an amazing film outside of just the visuals that I was so blown away by. It's, you know, it's just a great movie. And, you know, we all really love Tom Hardy for his ability to hold the screen with his beautiful lips, <laughs> even as he is kind of giving control of the film over to uh, this new character, like Furiosa, that really jumps off the screen. But he's the kind of actor that I would just yeah. look at him and I think I would love to see him get a chance to be in like a historical film or a biopic or something, something where he could really just, the movie's focused on him and we can really see him sink his teeth into an interesting character that we've heard so much about. I don't know, somebody plucked from from our not too recent past, but I don't know, someone iconic like Al Capone. Wouldn't yeah. it be amazing to see him get a chance to play that kind of that kind of character, guys? Maybe one day he will. I don't know. Maybe. What, what if we threw <laughs> something even more challenging at him? What if it was the last year of Capone's life when he was suffering from neurosyphilis. What if what if that was the challenge that made it even harder for him to portray this character? How, how would that turn out? If I know Tom Hardy, I know that he's going to look at that proposal and he's going to say, do I get to shit myself two, three times maybe? It's unclear in a couple scenes. And can I drool? Every scene? For the entire film. And can I be a not sympathetic portrayal of someone who the audience shouldn't be sympathetic with in the first place. To begin with, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And can we focus, honestly, when you say the last year of his life, Ronald, I want to be clear. I don't want to see any interesting things he did that made him interesting to people. I don't no. want any of that. I want a film that if someone had never heard of Al Capone, they would get to the end of this film and they would know nothing about why we give a shit about Al Capone. <laughs> yeah. But, but what, if, what if he was also shooting his friends in a diaper with a gold-plated Tommy gun. What if that were to happen, man? That'd be fucking. That'd be fucking insane. That'd be a. <laughs> it'd be insane if we watched that. Listen to this guy over here, Steve. It's like he's talking about a movie that steps back and forth between dreams and reality in a really annoying way. <laughs> But I got to say, the best thing you can do for a movie like this is make sure you have a director whose career is really on an upswing, who's got a who's got a firm hand and control of tone, and and honestly seems like a great guy to be around. What do you think, Steve? Do you have any sarcasm to add to this? <laughs> I was just wondering if that if that movie ever existed, it would it'd be like the kind of movie where other characters introduced characters that weren't having anything to do with Al Capone, but then you found out that those characters were imaginary. <laughs> Like, it'd be something like that, where, like, Al Capone had nothing to do with introducing you to a character in a movie, but then you're, you're, you're led to believe at the end that those people don't exist. I mean, maybe that could be a part of that role, too. Oh, my God. I mean, could any one movie be that good, guys? What if you had a very, very modern, trendy member of a, of a really popular group score the movie and have no score in the movie until the end credits. What if you did that? <laughs> what if you had LP from what if you had LP from Run the Jewels score the movie and not notice a score at all until the end credits roll? I noticed that. Oh God, man. Oh. Could we have a really talented actress playing one of the most thankless wife parts? that's ever been written? I mean, could she honestly just stand around looking worried and annoyed for the whole movie and maybe have one or two words to say every now and then? But honestly, don't give her any inner life, please. <laughs> I say let's. I, I say anything is possible, John. I love where we're going with this. This is. There's no barriers to what this, this theoretical movie 
could could be or do or not do or fail at in every possible way. Well, we will table that for later, but for now, let's move on to Josh Trank's film, Capone, <laughs> starring Tom Hardy uh, as, uh, as Al Capone in the last year of his life. I, I don't know. I mean, I honestly was a little surprised at what this movie is. I, I did not watch a trailer. I did not read anything about it. Neither did I. And I and and so I kind of enjoyed the 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 sort of boldness of the idea that it is going to be focused on the last year of Capone's life and that it is going to be I mean a, a very um, deglamorized portrayal. That's a very mild word for what this movie does to Al Capone. But it's it's not a movie that tries to glamorize the sort of criminal life and it doesn't commit any right. of those sort of common sins of the gangland film of of sort of showing this lifestyle like something that you would want or that you might covet. Um, but I don't know that... I mean, I think... So that is maybe the boldest thing about the movie is just how much it wallows in uh, the filth of, of uh, Capone's last days and just how unsympathetic he is, as we alluded to, um, and how much Tom, uh, Tom Hardy commits himself to that, I guess. And maybe the, he and the director probably teamed up a lot on that idea of pre- presenting this, uh, this uh, n- n- non-romanticized version of a, of, a, of a sort of a monster in his final days. But outside of that, I honestly don't know what this movie even existed to depict. Can you guys help me out a little bit? What What did you take away from Capone? Man, I wish I wish that I knew what they were trying to get across. Besides, maybe that he, you know, he lived a terrible life, and um, at some point, when you're not as successful as you were at the height of your criminality that, you know, you start to realize how much people are leeching off of you. And I, mean, I guess when you when you have syphilis ruining your brain, that can heighten your paranoia about that. So I, I'm, I don't know, maybe that. But besides that, this was a this was a disaster, man. I'm, you know, I love slice of life things. Slice of life biopic that was that just drudged along, didn't really have a beginning, middle or end. It it was it was the worst piece of film that I've seen in quite some time, man. And J- Josh Trank, I I don't understand how we went from Fantastic Four, which he bombed and depleted, to come into a biopic of of a man that we we would love to honestly see a good portrayal of him. You know, we've seen pieces of him in shows like uh, Boardwalk Empire, yeah, um, that's great, and other other shows too, and to see him. In this light, I'm not saying glamorize everything. I don't want that necessarily, but don't fucking it. You did the polar opposite. It's almost like uh, it feels like you shit on him to a level that almost felt like it wasn't even fair. It didn't even let the story breathe. It just felt like somebody wanted to destroy this man in an hour and a half and and not really have anything redeeming about the story or the character. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to really add. I mean, it, it is, it is. I think it actually is is an interesting idea to kind of look at Capone in the last year of his life, where it's kind of all falling apart, and you know he's been released from prison, you know, for not being deemed a threat, and, and like you said, like suffering from syphilis, and I think even dementia, and just like you know watching it just fall apart, but. If there was like a if there was an actual through line there, like with the idea of some interesting flashbacks about, you know, things 
coming in and out of his life in the last year that remind him of things or seeing or even storylines like you know about the the money that's uh, allegedly hidden somewhere that he couldn't remember that hasn't still been found to this day there's so many interesting things to pursue and to really kind of explore with a character of that stature just historically um and yeah, and it, you know, it, it's been in movies and TV here and there, but like, you know, an original idea like this, it, it kind of sounds interesting, I guess, but I don't really know what this movie is trying to say or really even what the purpose of the movie is. I mean, I think my biggest concern with the movie is that so much of it plays for humor, whether it's like intentionally or, I mean, I would hope it's not intentional, but um and if and if so, like I just wonder why, like why or how, like what about any of that is really funny or comedic? But some scenes actually kind of play like that, and um, it just completely, you know, misses on every level for me. And you know, one of the big things that really kind of bothered me, and I I, I kind of was joking earlier uh, when we were messing around, like. I really take issue with like logic in movies like this that is almost intentionally being edited in a way to make you feel disoriented, maybe as he was at that time in his life, um, with the story or with the narrative or what we're supposed to be following. But I could not I, I the, the idea of introducing characters that are not introduced by him to our audience, to by by Capone himself. You know, and I don't, I don't know how much spoilers we want to talk, but I won't mention who, not that it matters. But, you know, when characters are introduced in scenes by themselves, you know, interacting with other people in life and, you know, on the phone with other characters that we're assuming we've met in the movie, and then only to find out that these characters are, you know, not, not real or imaginary or at one time may have been real and are not now or he's seeing them. I don't know. Like, it's just so confusing and it's just so logical. And, um, that's just like really irresponsible filmmaking. And, you know, and I don't, I don't mean to cut down Josh Trank, like at all. Like I admire that, you know, somebody's out there trying to make a movie that they want to make. And, you know, he's definitely not had a great track record and, you know, the fantastic four debacle is its own thing. Um, and coming off of, you know, um, coming off of, what was that first movie? Um, Chronicle, you know, he was tied to every property out there as like the guy, like he was doing, you know, he was trying to get, they were trying to get him for Venom and they were trying to get him for a Star Wars movie and video game adaptations. And he ended up doing Fantastic Four and we all know kind of what that became. But yeah, to like go from that to this, and this is kind of like, you you know, we love this redemption story. I kind of feel bad that I, I feel so negatively about the movie because I want to see somebody succeed. I don't know that I care to see him succeed at this point because um, I don't know, I don't know what, if he really is offering much. Um, it makes me question like a lot of the success of Chronicle, um, you know, maybe it didn't have as much to do with him as other people involved, the cast, the script by Max Landis, who is his own problem. Um, but it's just a different movie. Um, and it's kind of watching this, I just come away feeling like I don't know what this filmmaker is trying to say or do with a movie like this, especially at this time in his career. Um, and that kind of bums me out. Cause like I say, I, I want to, I was like hoping that this would be like a really good watch and like, or at least interesting 
movie. And I'm sure some people will make the argument, and, and I've read some, you know, that it is interesting and that there's something being said that I'm missing possibly, but I don't know, man. I just think, <laughs> you know, that, that that almost seems like, an, you know, some sort of defense of someone because you want to see them succeed or you want you don't want to see something fail and I, you know i just don't think that's right either if that's what it's if that's what its motivation is behind um i just really i'm just really perplexed by this movie and yeah it was hard to get through to be honest with you it was really hard to watch it was man it was hard to watch it was designed to be hard to watch in a way but it was hard to watch on top of that like it was meant <laughs> yeah. to be kind of a grueling experience and it was meant to make you suffer and i think everything we've said about the sort of things that the movie is doing intentionally those could be the root of an of a really fascinating approach if you're going to say because i mean as much as we've said we'd like to see more interesting scenes from al capone's life in the film yeah i also think we could live without ever seeing an, a, another movie about one of these gangland assholes. And um, I don't want to see the glory days of this guy necessarily. More so than just even thinking, well, this movie doesn't have anything to say. Any hint I've had of what it has to say, it feels so self-congratulatory coming from Josh Trank, who seems yeah. to be saying stuff about um, that the fall of a great man or a big man. He, he identified with the way that Capone may have felt in his final days after his fall right. or whatever. And I just right, feel like, right. I don't know, that just seems so self-aggrandizing in this strange way. And it seems to me like a really weird way to approach this character. But I think on top of that, what bugs me is he didn't even really make that movie. He just kind of throws all this unpleasantness at us and... I'm not saying it felt like the movie The Snowman, but you know how that movie didn't have <laughs> yeah. like 15 to 20% of its footage? Yeah. This movie felt like one of those that needed more something to to fill it out. You're right about those characters who you're introduced to and you find out later maybe they were a hallucination, but then how did they come in and talk to other people? Yeah. At what point were they not a hallucination? It's just a certain amount of that sloppiness and you start to go, okay, this isn't on me. This confusion isn't the kind of thing where you'll watch it a second time and go, oh, this is genius. You know, this is the kind of thing where um, you talk to your friends and you uh, sort of, it's like a... We're, we're getting together to kind of build each other back up after the trauma of watching <laughs> this movie. And, and we all would love to see Tom Hardy in an interesting, weird, uh, late days Al Capone movie. And I'm with you, Ronald. The, the biopic that doesn't try to tell the whole story, that just focuses on a brief period, I think that's the best way to go. That's the best way to approach any cinematic telling of someone's story. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you end up with Walk Hard, you know? Um, <laughs> So, so I don't know. I don't know what the best case scenario for this movie would have been, but it does feel like, I don't know, it's just sometimes a movie makes me think, this is a weird thing that this even exists. Yeah. And I'm not sure what good this, this movie is going to do anybody outside of someone who needs to ruminate once again on the idea of a toxic asshole uh, who's dying. And I think that you can watch The Irishman for a better version of yeah. that. So here's, here's my problem with it. The muddiness that you guys are talking about, the people appearing and disappearing, gives way to this like fake deep logic that a lot of people that are kind of really on the surface are going to credit to there being this depth to the movie because it explores... Right. You know, loyalty. You, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Those, those people Definitely. that have no opinions about anything, but the, but the gangster movie that comes out about a guy with syphilis is the deepest, heaviest movie. You got to see it. You don't, and if you don't get it, you don't understand. There's so many twists right. and turns, and I can relate because I don't want to hear that shit, man. This movie was a fucking disaster. 
Yeah. It sucks. I mean, I, I think, I think the one, one thing that I will say, I mean, whatever you think of Josh Trank, I mean, he's like, his, his meltdown after Fantastic Four came out is legendary. Uh, <laughs> but, but I, but I will say, like, he definitely seems to be in a better place as a filmmaker, whether or not I like this movie. Like, he definitely is kind of taking the hits that he's been getting for this one in stride a little more um, and kind of handling it better, which I think is good for him as just a professional. And, I mean, I read a lot of profiles, and there's a really great one about him um, up on Polygon uh, that Matt Patches wrote uh, a couple weeks ago, um, just literally about you know, about him post Fantastic Four and, and everything like that. So I would highly recommend, you know, anybody interested in just reading about him or the industry and, you know, kind of his ups and downs. I mean, cause like I said before, I, I love a good redemption story and maybe he's still in the middle of his and maybe he'll find something, but I mean, I just feel like, you know, this, this is not it. And, um, this, yeah, this just genuinely felt like a mess and I wasn't, I wasn't able to really attribute real, a real voice or like a real direction to where where this movie was trying to go or what it really had to say about this character like John said who's really there's nothing redeeming about Al Capone um in in history um in his place in history but i mean what could have least uh, been accomplished is maybe atta- uh, attack the story from an interesting perspective and um kind of present his life in a way that maybe it hadn't been shown before which is you know an opportunity that I don't know how many movies about him will be made, especially if they continue to fail like this one will and has. I mean, obviously, it's kind of another victim of the, you know, coronavirus because it was supposed to come out in theaters and it kind of landed on a, I mean, really no marketing, just kind of got put out there. Like, I don't feel like most people even know this movie has come out. Um, So, I don't know. I feel feel bad being so critical of it because I really kind of was rooting for, you know, it and... You know, even Tom Hardy, who we are all fan of, like he's he's definitely kind of hit or miss, and he's yeah. very kind of controversial at times, and notorious for maybe being difficult or being very method and just like, um, but nothing, but every, I mean, I would say everything in this performance just turns me off. Like I don't even think the performance is interesting. I mean, maybe a couple parts, maybe, um, but it's just it's just dialed too high for me and especially for what this movie is trying to, or at least it seems has to, to have been trying to accomplish. It's just completely mismatched or it's just completely out of sync with, with the tone of the movie. Yeah. Al Capone's best moment in the movie is the opening uh, dinner scene yeah, where he's absolutely. giving a toast to his family and he's already insufferable in that scene. And I think we're meant to see that he is going on too long and he's kind of losing the adults in the room, but he's, he's giving right. a speech and a toast to his whole family and, and the younger kids are a little bit more fascinated with him. It all started when Nana, and your great-grandpa Gabriel, he first came to America. And they roamed the land for many, many, many years, searching for a new home. Back then, Nana used to ride on top of my father's back. God, so No, that's how he used to get around back then, he did. Sometimes I, th- I see actors in scenes looking at another actor, and I think that they are using their real feelings. <laughs> 
uh, about what they're doing and, and the situation that yeah. they're in in their character. And I think Linda Cardellini in that scene is thinking, "What the fuck is Tom yes. Hardy doing?" Because yeah, he's doing yeah. this cartoonish, like <laughs> he's doing this voice that's such a character voice. And again, we're supposed to see that he's losing his grip and that he looks bad and that everyone's kind of indulging him, but he still sort of has the ability to hold court in front of the family. That's kind of the point. And I mean, this this movie is not accidentally showing him as pathetic and gross and and uh, uh, without redeeming qualities. It's just you begin to question why are we watching a movie about this thing? Like, what is the story if we're not allowed to really get to know any of the more sympathetic people like Linda Cardellini? It could have been more in her head. Maybe we would have felt something for her plight. But we don't know anything about why she's married to this guy, how long. Uh, the family relationships, you can glean them, but they're they're not stated so clearly that it jumps out at you. Um, yeah, there's almost just nothing about it that works. And I think you said something about his performance turning you off. I think the whole movie kind of has that effect on me of just scene to scene. I just was sort of going, <laughs> okay, whatever. And, and I was fully expecting that I would at least be entertained. I thought this might be a little trashy, but I thought it was going to be uh, a fun interesting movie because it's Tom Hardy and it's Josh Trank and it's Al Capone. I just was like, yeah, of course. When you suggested watching it for the show, I had no idea. It was going to be the first movie in a long time that I was like coming into this recording going, God, I hope Steve and Ronald didn't like this because it'll be really tough for me. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine someone supporting this movie. Like you said, Mm -hmm. Ronald, I can imagine someone saying, Oh, you don't understand. But I think that it's just not, there and and it's not out of hating anybody involved or not seeing that some effort was made to do something very specific and again uh i give him the golf clap for doing this kind of biopic for basically not romanticizing the guy that's that's yeah. that's a cool idea but that's pretty much the only idea they had i mean it, that idea works but that's it i don't right. know that that sustains you for for 103 minutes which let's admit that's short for this type of movie oh, but God, it feels yeah. long as hell it feels like a mini series that's it's so it's exhausting it's an exhausting movie and i wanted to, I, again i wanted to like it too Man, sometimes I feel like Tom Hardy, he's, he feel like, I know this is like a, it feels like Nick Cage level dissension into crazy sometimes when I'm watching him on screen. And, and I think that the, the, the commonality between those two people is when they have good directors around them, someone can reel it in. But I think what's even more interesting is I think that. I'm getting this impression that Tom Hardy's like an alpha male on on the set, man. So like it might be hard yeah. to to strip the ego from that and you know, you might have to get somebody like Tarantino, you might have to get somebody who's like I will die before I put out a shitty movie with you in it. That sort of director that can kind of reel in what he does, man, cuz sometimes he has unsalvageable scenes, man. Like it and this is not the first thing that I felt like that in. I love Revenant. There were some scenes in Revenant when I was like, why would he put basically like candy in his mouth and start talking? I'm, I'm good with like a weird accent committing to it. There were some scenes where I'm like, what right. is this? What is this talking that? What is this doing? This isn't this is not audible. This is not audible a language. This is not English. This, this isn't a native language that was on this land. What is this that he's speaking? It drives me crazy, man. The the comparison to Nicolas Cage really strikes a chord with me because they're both capable of brilliance and they're also both capable of just sort of like doing something that's fun for them as an actor, but that may not work with the reality 
uh, of a movie. And some people seem to eat that shit up, but I find it sometimes can be very jarring. Uh, it is jarring. And the, and the actor is sort of, you almost sense that with Josh Trank, that he kind of probably couldn't have controlled Tom Hardy if he had tried. Absolutely not. I just think there are a couple of actors that are like that. Wahlberg, him. I mean, like alpha males on, on the set that you can't really, unless you want to fight them. I don't know how you guys feel about Nicolas Cage. I love the guy, and I do love when he goes crazy in movies, but I also can see the ways that it's not the... When you look at his very, very best work, it's 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 not that, you know? It's not the stuff where he's just sort of like playing to the midnight movie crowd. Yeah. Right, right. When you mention, like, the whole alpha male, like, getting with a director that's going to be a little more, con- like, I guess, in control... And I guess I think back to like a lot of the roles that he's had that you can really kind of look at and isolate like some of the more dialed in performances where, you know, I feel like it's more in line with the tone of the film. It doesn't seem like it's a character inside of a movie. You know what I mean? Like this does and like a lot of other stuff he's done. But like, you know, you look at the movies that he's done, you know, with with uh, what is his name with uh, Nicholas when he did uh, what did he what was that first one? Bronson. You know, when yes. he made that with Wendy Greffin, or like when he made like uh, Lawless with John Hillcote, or even any of the Christopher Nolan movies, Inception, Dark Knight Rises, uh, you know, Dunkirk. Like these are like, or Steve, uh, you know, he was in that, what was that one called? Like Lock and the Drop. Like these more like character movies, like Stephen Knight's film. It, it just seems like there's, when, when he's in the hands of like writer directors that are, that are more like, I don't know. They have they they genuinely have like a vision, you know, in their films, or they have a voice, or they have like a, a style, or you know, they they are in control of a set or of, of the story, even even you know beyond personalities or egos. You you look at his filmography and like at least me, you know, I look at some of his movies and I'm thinking of like what some of my favorite movies that he's been in or performances that he's been in, and and they are movies that are more in line with that. You know, they're movies. You know, like even, you know, in Rock and Rolla, you know, Guy Ritchie, you know, you, you have these like writer director, you know, more auteur directors that are really driving the movie to fruition to what they want and probably don't clash with, you know, what what he is now or like maybe what he was at some point, you know, while he made those movies. Um, Guy Ritchie would kick him in the balls, though. Right. Guy right, Ritchie exactly. is also like, like that that presence. Like he's like, you fuck this up, I will punch you outside. You know, we can pause this, and I will fight you, and then we can come back to set. He has that feel right. to his personality. So like, yeah, I get what you're saying, man. Yeah, or even George Miller, like talking about Mad Max. Like you know, even though that was a contentious set, set, like that's not like a weird Tom Hardy performance or whatever you want to. No. I, I, at least I don't believe it to be. You know, and what we could kind of put in these movies that are more like Hollywood movies that he's been in where like he's the star and like Venom or, you know, whatever's happening in some of those movies. It's just, it's two different sides of, of a, of a talent that I, I really do like Tom Hardy. Um, me too. But it's, it's kind of like hit or miss sometimes for me. Like, and, uh, yeah, this is, yeah, this is definitely a miss for the, <laughs> for sure. This alpha male idea though, about actors actually made me think of something that I realized just in the last couple of days, um, from a couple things I watched that I enjoyed. And I wanted to ask you guys, do you want to close off this episode with anything you've seen recently that you did like? Yeah, yeah. Because I would like to mention um, 
the uh, uh, incredible Kimmy Schmidt an interactive movie on Netflix and the film uh, Come to Daddy with uh, Elijah Wood. And I was watching both those movies and I was enjoying not quite beta energy or whatever you want to say, but the fact that Elijah Wood and Daniel Radcliffe, who is in the Kimmy Schmidt movie, um, they both, they don't have that alpha energy at all. They, they go in the opposite direction. These are two guys who had successful franchises early in their lives and don't have to work and can be cool and can pick projects they want to be in. And they play the weirdest roles, you know, and they don't play up anything other than their kind of weird, big eyed little boy <laughs> qualities. <laughs> uh, but they certainly don't seem like alpha actors who would take over a set at all. And I, I, f- I find myself really admiring that aspect. I was watching Come to Daddy thinking, well, I love that Elijah Wood just is up for whatever weird project. It seems like he really knows he can just do whatever. And, and I, I've seen that same kind of energy from Daniel Radcliffe, um, not just, uh, what's the Farting Corpse movie? What was that called? Swiss Army Man? Swiss Army Man, not just that, but I mean, other choices he's made where it, it's, he's not always playing like, you know, the, he's not, they, they don't want to play a type They seem, they seem totally content to just kind of do whatever thing. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen either one of those things, but no, sounds, I, I want to see the Kimmy Schmidt movie, man. I, I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, it's funny. It's I, I, we didn't go through all the different options. I was looking for some way to double back and see some of the things we didn't pick. Because what happens is if you pick the wrong option, the quote unquote wrong option, you see the wrong option and then it, it tells, it pushes you back to make the right option. It kind of compels you to make the right (laughs) option. But if you make the right option, it just keeps going. And so if you keep going through the story, you realize you're kind of making the quote unquote smart story choices. And so you almost end up playing a little game with the interactive thing of going, well, I don't want to choose every time the one that seems like the most likely option for story, because that might be the one that just moves through story. But if you choose a blatantly wrong option, it'll give you a funny scene and then they kind of put you they kind of reset you so that you will make the right choice <laughs> That's really cool. um, so i still feel like there are two or three moments i'm like i made a note i need to go back to this choice or that choice to see uh different things that happen but no it's if you like that show you'll love you know titus has one moment in particular if you choose the right option you'll get to see a great scene of him in a, in a bar um but everybody's in pretty fine form it just feels like a long episode of that show it doesn't feel like a movie um and then Come to Daddy is very weird, and it's, it doesn't really end well. It kind of peters out, but it's got some good turns in it. And as far as being that kind of, we've been talking a lot recently, how much do these kind of arty, creepy, uh, ostensibly horror films, how, how much do they deliver? Um, uh, Come to Daddy has some shocking violence in it, some just like gut-wrenching, nauseating violence in it. Wow. But it, it also has some kind of neat story ideas in the setup. The first 20, 30 minutes gets you into an interesting place, and then there's a few surprises. And yeah, it's, uh, it's insanely gory. Um, but it, I would say the last 10 minutes aren't the best minutes in the movie. And I think with a horror film, you kind of want the last 10 minutes to be the best part. I'm going to check it out, definitely. So have you guys seen anything that uh, you would uh, rank higher than Capone? <laughs> uh, I've been TV showing it up. I haven't really seen many movies. You got you guys watching? What movies have you seen, Steve? Have you seen any? I haven't really watched many movies this week. I, I We uh, binged the second season of Dead to Me on Netflix. How was it? I liked the first a lot. Yeah, well, th- th- this, is, this is something that Linda Cardellini actually has a great character to perform. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> With, uh, you know, to work with, uh, she and Christina Applegate are just excellent in this show. Um, if you haven't watched it, I'd highly recommend it. it it's on its second season, just came out last Friday. Um, we just finished it uh, earlier this week. But 
it's just like it's just like a really just engaging fun show just like double like a bunch of twists and turns and just james marsden's great in it you know and it's just a really solid show i mean it's like a dramedy i guess it's pretty funny though um so we watched that and then i i did watch a movie called vivarium oh about the house uh yeah really weird movie um I don't. I don't know that I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than Capone because I I, okay. I I kind of understood it. Um, yeah, Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots are in it, and they basically you know kind of wander into this situation where they're looking at a, a a model house and kind of sort of get stuck in this maze of Pleasantville type of a town. Or and it's it's kind of weird. It's kind of interesting. Uh, it's kind of loses its way through the movie for me i mean i kind of came out of it like with this idea and i was going to mention this to you guys like maybe as a topic we can go into deeper on another episode but like i've been watching like some random movies that just literally feel like episodes they could be like episodes of the twilight zone and i've basically (laughs) have come to a realization that like i love that like i love movies that i would say oh this could be an episode of the twilight zone because i absolutely adore the twilight zone it's like one of my favorite shows ever and this this falls into that category. Remember that movie, the one I love with uh, Mark Duplass and uh, Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, like I that was that one that felt like that. Totally, to me. I think we may have said that at the time that it had this great like here's a concept that then spins out into a a movie. But like those those if if they do those right, it, the concept always stays in that zone of. It's like the scope never gets too big to take you away from the kind of human element. Right. Like a really good Twilight Zone, you you will you will put yourself in the shoes of this of this person, right? And you will feel how fucked they are, and you will you will you will be sad for them because they feel right. like you in some way. Yeah, and it's like it's 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 a fun idea just because like I also watched this movie that I think came out last year on Netflix called Fractured with Sam Worthington, which was also not great, but again falls into that. This, I, you know, this is like a contained human story that has something odd going on. Whether it's from another, you know, you know, air, you know, uh, dimension or whatever. But you know, there's something odd. There's just something off in this in this story or in this movie. And and I love that. I love that the movie that is, you know, there's characters that you're interested in, but something just feels off. And you know, you you're basically spending it figuring out what that is or or exploring what it is that they're inside of or dealing with. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I just like watched that movie Vivarium or Vivarium and kind of felt that way the whole movie. And, and it does kind of, I know some people that were, were, were pretty into it and um, I didn't, I didn't really dislike it. I, I did. I did think it was okay, but I think it kind of like just kind of spins its wheels a bit too much for me and exploring this kind of weird idea. And I don't want to really spoil it. If anybody out there is interested in a movie like that or that plot synopsis is interesting, I'd, I'd recommend checking it out. You, you may be into it, but, um, you know, just, just that idea of like, it just reminded me of how much, and I think also like seeing the, the, the new trailer for the season two of the twilight zone that Jordan Peele produces, um, you know, cause me kind of has me excited to see that second season. I wasn't the biggest fan of the first season, it's kind of all, all over the place for me, but um, they've got a lot of interesting people involved, uh, filmmakers with the second season that I really like, and I'm curious to see what those episodes are. But um, just that idea of like, you know, something just feeling off in a story really makes it un- unsettling and makes it uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of love that. I love finding a movie that just like has that um, 
kind of just like seeping through the story and you just kind of like are waiting for that, you know, the, the piece of information that puts it all together or, you know, understanding what's really happening. I just love that experience. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just random thought, but I, I thought about that a lot watching that movie. The genre of weird fiction as opposed to straight horror fiction, people who who define it, usually define it as weird fiction has that element of the unexplained, yep. just wrongness, just something like, because you, you felt that in your own life, that feeling of like, something's not right here. True, you know, true. Um, it's, great when, it's great when something can evoke that. That, that. That's different from just making you jump. Um, I did see the Beastie Boys movie on Apple TV+, Plus, uh, the Beastie Boys story. Um, it was it was really good. A lot of a lot of unseen footage of the start of the band and how they were originally a rock band, and um, there was a woman involved originally at the the first version of Beastie Boys. It's it's a cool story, man. It's it's super sad. Just you know, one of the members died, and um, but it's worth it. It's a cool emotional roller coaster that feels like it's you know it's kind of shot on a stage with a big crowd uh and feels like you're kind of a part of it it's it's really well done well i've heard it criticized as being a ted talk uh, <laughs> it was not a documentary and 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 there was a book that was published that was sort of an oral history that they put together um that the movie supposedly follows pretty much beat for beat as far as the no pun intended god i I trust me that was not intended. <laughs> Didn't Spike Jones direct yeah. it? Like I wonder if he could have made a mo- a, a really cool filmically interesting documentary about them, but I guess for whatever reason they decided they wanted this to be more, you know, more human and less manipulated in some way. Now you talk about Spike Jones, man. He did a Aziz Ansari special where Aziz was in plain clothes and the camera was too close to his face. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's he's on the he's on the outside of normal. So I I I thought it was pretty cool. I I hadn't read the book. I I, I heard something about the source material, um, but I didn't think it was supposed to be a doc. I just thought it was Tyson did something pretty yeah. similar. Um, on Broadway, that was kind of him just talking shit on stage, uh, and I, I'm, I like the idea of an artist just kind of being honest and raw on stage. I thought it was cool, and I thought it was great. I, I'm, I'm a fan, and uh, and I thought the the presentation, the approach, the idea of what it is, yeah, and not being a documentary, but but kind of, it's more of like a stage show, and 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 that they kind of shot over, I think, th- three nights. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it was great. I I yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely recommend it, especially for any fans of of the Beastie Boys. It's it's really really good. Well, I'll definitely watch it. Yeah. What about TV shows? Have you guys been watching TV? Any TV shows? I rewatched Dave with with my wife, <laughs> and it was great. The second time through, I mean, the first time through, I told you I couldn't remember how I reacted um, at the end because I just know I was very emotional. But the second time through, I clapped at the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What have I been watching? Um, so I started on Betty. I, I don't know if you guys saw that. It's kind of similar to Kids. It's an HBO show that just started about a bunch of women skaters that are in New York, kind of establishing who they are as people. It's really good, especially if you like kind of the tone of Kids. It's l- way less AIDS in it, I promise you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Vita, the show on Stars. Um, it's in its last season about the two Hispanic American, oh, Latinx, uh, 
women that are trying to uh, run their mom's business who passed away pretty recently. It's, it's a really good show. I'm, I'm on it. I'm on the last season. I love it. Uh, last Dance. Uh, come on. We talked about this. Uh, Bravest Warriors, which is uh, from the same studio does a, that does Adventure Time. The, the episodes are a lot shorter, but very entertaining. And I have to talk to you about a show that you brought up last week. Steve, if you were near me, I would squeeze your fucking wrist <laughs> because you, you talked it up and you were so on point with the way you described it. Gangs of London. Okay, so I just watched a pilot in halfway of the first episode because a pilot is a movie's length. It's an hour and a half long. Yeah. I cannot believe what I'm watching on the fucking screen. I cannot believe that they managed to balance everything that was great about Gareth Evans' earlier work with The Raid and combine it <coughs> with crime bosses in London. And it all seems very reasonable. It doesn't right. seem like outside of the realm of realism. And the kind right. of uh, Trojan horse of finding out who is one of the main characters of the show. Because you go through an hour of this show, you're like, okay. Then this guy kind of pops up. You're like, eh, who the fuck is this guy? And then he, <laughs> it's just really well done, man. Thank you. Thank you for telling me about yeah, it, man. Steve. I didn't I'm know that Gareth had, man, I didn't know that Gareth had anything to do with it. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of his stuff, but Jesus Christ. This show is probably one of his best works because it's the combination of the story that he can tell with the action. I love it, man. And it's just really impressive that it's like, yeah, it, that, that it's like a TV series, you know? Like, it's, yes. it's like the, the scale of it and the production of it. I mean, it, it is at a level that, you know, this, this, you, you would expect here in the States to see this on like, I mean, I guess, I, you know, on HBO or like, you know, something with a real budget. I mean, like it is, it is really, uh, you know, well made and like the production value is very high, like for an action crime drama. It's just, it's really impressive. I'm glad you liked it. Oh man. I need to finish it, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm two episodes in and i'm i'm hooked cool that's great i think i mentioned it before but i'm really liking defending jacob on apple plus yeah oh i'm watching that too what wow yeah what a fuck yeah i'm i i didn't see the latest episode i'm i think i'm three in i'm so sorry i forgot to mention that show yeah oh my god man I, i it caught me off guard i i i was not expecting to be so dialed into the drama man we're watching chris evans act it's chris evans right i'm not this is chris evans yeah 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 yeah. acting his ass off man acting his ass off in this in the show yeah he's really good yeah it's a really interesting story and i like not knowing anything about it and like not knowing where it's gonna go and it does an interesting thing where it's kind of the episodes have like a scene or two with a present day interrogation that's kind of driving the story of each episode, like piecing together, you know, information from this story that, you know, ultimately I'm, I'm assuming we'll, we'll figure out what happened in this true crime drama. But it's a it's a it's an interesting show. And I think it's like a big hit. I, I was reading it's like besides the morning show, I think it's like the most watched series on Apple TV plus like or it's like their biggest show right up there with the morning show. So that's it's kind of cool. For especially for Chris Evans, he's kind of doing well. Coming off of Avengers uh, Endgame, he's got 
Knives Out, one of the biggest movies of last year, and he's got a hit show on Apple TV Plus. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to see him doing well in life. You know what I mean? I'm I'm, I'm rooting for Chris Evans. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, he had Knives Out so soon after Endgame. Endgame is like his mythic, you know, leading man superheroic moment, and then Knives Out is a great movie that to however you look at his character in that it kind of deflates that idea of this Dudley Do Right esque <laughs> perfect guy that that Captain America was. So he's already kind of in that post. He's not quite uh, what I was saying about Elijah Wood or Daniel Radcliffe because he's he's not a little boy man, but he is. <laughs> um, he is like at a point where he can do whatever kind of project he wants to. And he already sort of has been that guy. I mean, doing the doing Snowpiercer might seem like kind of an action hero move, but when you see that movie, you see that what he's doing is actually something a little bit more iconoclastic if you're looking yeah. at him as that guy. So I don't know. He seems like a guy who's going to continue to make cool choices. So I will definitely catch up on Defending Jacob because, um, you know, I sort of... I, I tend to forget these streaming services. Stuff slips pa- uh, slips past me all the time. Where I hear it's coming, and then I kind of forget that it's on its way. Uh, and then when it when it hits, uh, you know, is that show all bingeable at this point, or is it in the middle of a season? What's up with Defending Jacob? How many episodes could I watch? They're they're doing a they're doing a. I think they released uh, when it when it launched. I want to say there was two episodes. And then it's a weekly release every Friday. So so they're. This when this podcast comes out, the fifth episode will 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 premiere the day that we release this podcast. Oh, cool! Well, I'll catch up on that. Yeah, I will check that out for sure. Uh, yeah, I think that's it, man. Anything else you guys want to mention, real quick? I think that's it for me. I want to say I found the quarantine anthem for America. If folks want to go to YouTube, I think if you search for Landis Expandis. Uh, but the song is Back the Hail Up, <laughs> Back the H-A-L-E Up. It's this guy, Landis Expandis. He's from a, a local, he's not, I think he originally is from Connecticut, but he's been a Baltimore guy for a long time, and he's been in the band The Almighty Senators um, in Baltimore. And I, through the quarantine, he has been posting uh, songs constantly, little one-and-a-half, two-minute songs on his uh, YouTube channel, and he posted one song called Back the Hail Up, that is, uh, it's it, it is the it's the bop. It's the bop of the the quarantines, um, and I think it could become the the summer single that everyone needs. It's a two minute song, so maybe people need to do the extended remix. Maybe Landis himself should work that out. But part of what makes it so infectious is that it's a little two minute kind of tossed off thing. There's a man right behind me, and he's touching on his face. I got my mask and my gloves on just in case. Tried to move, but he's taking up my place. But you got to back up, please back the hell up. Na 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 na, you're standing too close, please back the hell up. Na 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 na. Anyway, it's very funny and catchy as hell, and it's got that quality that certain uh, funny songs can have where you go, okay, that's just basically a good song. That's uh, <laughs> on top of being funny, it's now in my ear forever. So back the hell up. Cool, I'll right, check it out. All right. Um, so yeah, I, I think just to circle back real quick for a quick cap on Capone. I think I think we can all agree, and that that's a that's a that's a what is that? That's a wait for it or that's a hold up. That's hold, a hold up, up, hold up. Yeah, gotta make this make sure I have this scale right. Yeah, that's a hold. That's a hold up. Find something else to watch. Um, Nothing for any, you to see here. And any of the other stuff we talked about is I'm surely more interesting than than that movie. Unfortunately. Um, 
so yeah, and then also today coming out on uh, video on demand platforms is Warner Brothers Animation Scoob, another movie that you know again was supposed to have a theatrical release, but today if you're listening to this podcast on Friday, the fifteenth, uh, it's it's available in your house. So you know we'll probably check that out and talk about it next week. I'm sure at least a little bit. Um, and yeah, so you can find us at moviesmovie.com, facebook.com slash moviesmovie. And uh, if you if you you know if you watched Capone, let us know what you thought about it. Um, let us know if you've been watching any other shows, TV shows, movies that we have missed. We've been trying to cover as much as we can and make some recommendations of some that maybe um, some of our listeners may not have heard of yet. But um, if you know of some, definitely let us know. And uh, yeah, that's gonna be it. As always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye. Na 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 la la. Okay. I'm Fonzo. I'm Fonzo. <laughs> 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 <laughs>